good morning. It's my uh, privilege to come have the opportunity again to share a little bit from God's Word with you. Um, those of you who don't know me, my name is Jay. I'm Patrick's uh, older brother. And uh, today I'm coming to you from Beaufort, South Carolina. Mandy, my wife, and I are uh, down at her parents' house here in Beaufort. And sitting out here today with the marsh in the background, it's one of my favorite places to come and to hang out. And what I want to do today is we kind of or one week away from finishing up this uh, look in Second Corinthians. Um, over the past really 11 weeks, Patrick has taken us on a pretty incredible journey uh, through what Paul talks about um, in uh, in Second Second uh, Corinthians, um, and, and really you kind of see this interaction between him as he's talking to the followers of Christ there uh, in Corinth, and he talks about this as Patrick mentioned this this whole series as we called freshly squeezed and really the metaphor for that has been this is imagine like uh whether that's like an orange that you freshly squeeze that uh, what happens is this is that when pressure is applied to that orange and it's squeezed uh the juice comes out and 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 kind of as we've been talking through that is this is that um is that we can experience something and because of that experience, then we get to express that. That's really what an orange is. It is an expression of the of the nutrients and everything that has grown on from the tree that it's on, the water it's gotten, the sunshine it's gotten, and all of that. That is what is experienced. And then once it is taken off the tree and it is squeezed out, that juice becomes a perfect expression of all the experiences that that orange has um, gone through uh, in its life cycle. And so as we think about that, our lives are very similar to that. The experiences that we go through in our life, um, when we express things in our life, typically those expressions are part of and influenced greatly by the experiences uh, that we have in our life. And so what I want to do today is, is this, is as we begin to talk about this and continue to talk about uh, in, in 2 Corinthians here, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 today. But really this is that we're going to ask the question is how can we continue to experience have the experience of a relationship with Jesus and then in turn be able to express his character uh, to toward other people as as followers of Christ. So uh, what we're going to be looking at uh, each week, we've kind of taken a topic or a theme for each of the chapters. And this week, as we talk about it, we're going to be looking at authenticity. What does it mean to be authentic? When we speak of authenticity and being authentic, what does that really mean? Well, if you look that up in the dictionary, it gives us this definition. Authenticity is being genuine, not false, not fake, not a copy. It is representing one's true nature. Paul really gives us a great definition of authenticity, and it's found here in 2 Corinthians in the first chapter that we looked at. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, this is what Paul says. He says, We can say with confidence and a clear conscience that we have lived with a God-given holiness and sincerity in our dealings. We've de we depended on God's grace and not on human wisdom. That is how we conducted ourselves before the world and especially before you. Now, those are very powerful and profound words that Paul shares there with the church at Corinth. The authenticity of Paul's life is what allowed him to challenge other believers 
to step up in the authenticity of their life. Paul was never back down. He was always bold as he would share and challenge uh, other believers to be who God called them to be. In First Thess- or First uh, Corinthians chapter eleven, verse one, and also he says a similar thing in First Corinthians four sixteen, and he says in First Corinthians one six. But this is what he says to those uh, that he's having an opportunity to influence in their life. He says this. He says in First Corinthians eleven one. He says, "Imitate me." as I imitate Christ. Man, those are powerful, powerful words. Why could Paul say that? Ultimately, it was because of the authenticity in his life. He wasn't a fake, he wasn't a a fraud. He was the genuine deal. He was a follower of Christ. And that's what gave him the power and the boldness to say to other believers, look, if you follow after me, you're gonna be walking in the same footsteps of Jesus. Powerful, challenging words from Paul. So what does authenticity look like in your life and in mine as a follower of Jesus? Well, over the past 11 weeks, Patrick has taken us chapter by chapter through 2 Corinthians. As we've gone through there, he's pulled out these words. Chapter 1 was the word comfort. Chapter 2 was the word forgiveness. Chapter 3 was confidence. 4 was faith. 5 was harmony. 6 was grace. 7 was joy. 8 was compassion. 9 was generosity. 10 was humility. And 11 was integrity. And what I asked kind of in preparation of this message, I asked Patrick if he could go back and he could take each of those messages and boil those weeks down into one sentence to talk about those words. And uh, and so what he did is he spent some time this week and he sent that to me. And what I want to do is I want to kind of step through this and kind of as we get ready, before we jump in to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 here, before we jump into there, I want us to see how in these other 11 words that we've talked about, these other qualities, if you will, of a follower of Christ, how we can see authenticity lived out. Because I believe these 11 sentences would be a great picture and example of what it means to be authentic. The first one in the first uh, week of the series is Patrick talked about the word comfort. And if you're going to take that whole message and put it down into one sentence was this, is that we don't go through anything alone. What a powerful promise. What a powerful uh, comfort, as that word is, for all of us, that we don't go through this life alone. God is with us. God's people are with us. The people that he puts in our life, we don't have to go through that alone. So what does authenticity do when it comes to comfort? It frees us to ask for help from others, and it frees us to be a help for others. We can be comforted and we can comfort other people. Chapter two was all about forgiveness. And when we're gonna look at that uh, message, wrap that up in one sentence was this, is that we can confront without condemning other people. We can confront without condemning. I mean, think about all throughout scripture, uh, God talked about that we forgive others the same way that we have been forgiven. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world may be saved through him. Jesus didn't come to point out our sin just to say how bad we are, right? He came to show us a way to have those sins forgiven. What does authenticity look like when it comes to forgiveness? Authenticity is this, is it gives us permission to be real with people and allow people to be real with us. Because you know what? Hey, we're going to start in the same way that Jesus did, at a point of love and wanting what's best for other people. Chapter 3 went on, and we talked about the word confidence. Confidence. And that one word message, uh, or one word sentence for that message was this. Patrick said, we can walk boldly through any circumstance with freedom and with courage. That's what confidence does. Authenticity lived out confidently would be this. 
Authenticity allows us not to be held captive by fear in our life. What a great way to live free from fear. Chapter four goes on and talks about the whole thing there was about faith. And that one word, uh, that one sentence message was this, is that we can trust God to deliver us through, not just rescue us from our trials and our difficulty. When it comes to faith, what does authenticity look like? Is this lived out? We would say this is that authenticity moves us forward even when we don't understand everything. That's what faith is all about, right? I don't have to understand the, the end game. I don't have to understand everything in the process. Faith is this, is simply taking the next step. And that's what an authentic uh, relationship with Jesus looks like. It's not stepping out in only the ways in which we understand things, but it's just saying, I'll take the next step. Chapter five, we really focused on the word harmony. And when we would take that in, in a one sentence message would be this, is that we can have a balanced perspective on how to experience life for ourselves and experience life with others. Harmony, being together, finding common ground with one another. What does that look like for authenticity to intersect with harmony? I wrote it this way, that authenticity helps us not be full of ourselves and to be open to others. That's what authenticity is. It's not all about Jay. It's not all about how things happen in my life. It's not all about what happens to me and what I'm going to get out of it and my benefit. No, it's harmony. It's how we're going to be of a benefit and help to one another. Chapter six went on and we talked about grace. Grace. Patrick summed that up this way. He says, we can allow our inadequacies to drive us to experience the depth of God's love. Grace. And we're going to talk a lot about uh, that word grace today in uh, chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians as Paul talks about that. But what does that mean when authenticity intersects with grace is this, is authenticity finds purpose in our pain. Difficulties are going to happen. They're going to come. They're going to, we're going to experience all kinds of things in our life. Grace, authentically lived out, allows us to find purpose in that. Chapter 7 went on and it talked about the word joy. Joy, and that was described as this, is that we can use joy as a tool to navigate the most difficult moments in relationships. Again, difficult times are going to come. And joy is this. Joy is not just an emotion. Joy is an anchor point for us in our life. And what does authenticity look like when it intersects with joy? Is this, is that authenticity knows that it's not what happens to us, but it's what happens in us that is most important. Again, freshly squeezed, what's on the inside comes out. Chapter eight went on and we talked about compassion. Compassion was this, is that we can't solve every problem, but we can be a part of the solution to meet the needs of others. Compassion. Boy, I can't think of a, a word that's more needed today uh, in our country is we need compassion. We need people who are going to step up and be compassionate people. What does it look like when authenticity and compassion intersect? This is this is that authenticity shows us what we can do, not just what we can't do. Again, it is this, it's being the solution to a problem. Can't fix it all, but being the solution to the problem that we have the opportunity to have impact and influence in. Chapter nine went on and we talked about generosity. And generosity was this, is that we have the opportunity to live with open hands to receive gifts and then to use those to bless others. Generosity and authenticity, when they intersect, is this. Authenticity finds a way always to add value to other people. That's what generosity is. It's us taking the things that we have 
and helping to add value to make a better benefit for other people. How can we lift them up? How can we encourage them? How can we ultimately uh, be a blessing to them? And then we talked about in chapter 10, the word was humility. Humility is this, is that we have the opportunity or we have the boldness and confidence in Christ to live in a righteous way and a just way that keeps our hearts pure. Humility, I've heard that uh, defined this way a lot of times is this, is that it's not thinking of ourself or not thinking less of ourselves, but it's thinking of ourself less. It's not about pushing me forward. It's not about my own agenda or what I want. Humility there, again, what he would have said there, we live in such a way that it keeps our hearts pure. When humility and authenticity intersect, we find this is that authenticity takes the focus and the spotlight off of us and it puts it on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. It's not about, hey, look at me, but it's about look at what Jesus has done in my life. Let me tell you that story. And then last week we looked at this word integrity. Integrity. And that's one of those words that um, sometimes it's hard to define, but when someone has it, you know it. Well, that word integrity, and we talked about that, the takeaway from that last week was this, is that we can have a deep abiding truth that gives us stability to have consistency of character, no matter the situation, no matter the situation. And I think authenticity and integrity really, really go hand in hand. Authenticity and integrity would be this. Authenticity validates what we say. In other words, our message because of who we are, and that's our character. And so as we've looked at that, I think Paul so far has given us a very clear picture uh, in, in the book to, uh, to the Corinthians, the second book that Paul wrote, of what it means to authentically experience God and authentically express him to others. In 2 Corinthians, uh, we're going to look today, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to focus in on verses 1 through 10. And what we're going to do is we're going to find three big takeaways that Paul gives us when it comes to living an authentic life and the results of that, how we experience it and how we express it. So let's go to God's word and read right now. Paul writes this, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he starts in verse 1. He says, boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a man was caught up into the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weakness. For I do not wish to boast, but I will not be foolish, for I know I will be speaking the truth. He says this, but I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Verse 7, he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong.
Let's go back real quick and talk about the definition of authenticity. The dictionary told us this, is it means to be genuine, not fake, not false, but what you represent, who you really are. That's what it means to be authentic. And based on Paul's teaching and his example today, I, I think if, if, if we look back over the 12, or the past 11 weeks and looked at that message in one sentence, if I could wrap up today or, or tell you today's message in one sentence would be this, is that authenticity is the daily practice of letting go of who we think we're supposed to be and embracing who God has created us to be. Now, don't stop the video right here and don't go, hey, I already heard the message in that one sentence and go on. Because I want to give you, as we go back and look at 2 Corinthians uh, 12, 1 through 10, three big takeaways of this whole thing of what it means to be authentic. What does it mean for us to embrace who God has created us to be? What does it mean for us to be real, to be genuine, not a fake, not a counterfeit, not a fraud? What does it mean to be authentic? Well, I think as we look back and we see in First or Second Corinthians, um, in the first six uh, verses of chapter twelve, the takeaway for us would be this: when it comes to authenticity, is that we don't look for honor and recognition from people, and we allow God to honor us in His time and in His way. Now, go back as we read. We hear this story as Paul begins. He asks a question. He says, look, man, I, I could boast. I could tell you a lot of great things that have happened in my life. And he tells this encounter that he has where he was he was taken up into heaven. I mean, Paul, if anybody, if there was anybody that's ever lived that had the right, had the really deserved to be able to stand before people and boast about who he was, I think it was Paul. Think about this, man. He was one of the greatest, if not the greatest missionary of all time. In scripture, we see he visits 48 different cities and he preaches the gospel while he's there. And, and in many of those cities, if you go through there, not only was a missionary, he was also a church planner. We know specifically of 14, if you specific churches that Paul planted uh, during his missionary trips, and many others were birthed out of that. So if you add those, I mean, it's, it's 20, 25, 30 plus churches uh, that Paul, over his time as a missionary and a church planner, uh, planted those church. He was a writer, incredible writer. Um, he wrote 14 books of the New Testament uh, that we read, that one of those is that we're studying today. And not only that, he was a preacher, uh, extraordinary. He used the, 30 plus years of his life was devoted uh, to being the uh, the messenger, the ambassador, as God's word talks about, a preacher um, of God's word, letting people know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them. But not only that, in this passage, he shares this experience that 14 years prior to this, when he's writing it, 14 years, he doesn't know whether he was physically there or he was just spiritually or mentally there. But he was taken from earth up into paradise, up into heaven. And it says that he heard these things and saw these things. And he says they were just indescribable things he can't even talk about. Now, if you're like me, I read this passage. And let's be honest. This is one of those passages that's kind of weird. It's a little bit hard to understand. And we're like, okay, man, what is this? A new sci-fi series that's going to be produced? Is this going to be something that uh, we're going to be watching soon? With this whole thing of going being caught up into heaven. What does all that mean? Well, I think as we read that, it's real easy to kind of get caught up into what this experience was all about. Um, and if we're not careful, I think we get we get caught up into uh, what happened during there. We, we can make all these conjectures and all these, uh, you know, basically absolute guesses of what what he saw and what he heard. 
And I think at the end of the day is this, is that we've got to be real careful not to uh, focus on that experience. But in that, ultimately, what that experience taught Paul about who Jesus is and what Jesus had done uh, in his life. Now, think about it. if we're not careful today, um, man, there, you know, right, there are all kinds of things. For me, uh, I'll be 53 years old in July, and since the sixth grade, I've only missed going to youth camp twice. One was because of COVID, and another was because I was just in transition and didn't uh, was not connected to be able to go to youth camp one time. But since 53, I'll be 53, uh, this will be, uh, you know, twice since sixth grade I've missed youth camp. But, but here's what I know about youth camp and things like that, youth camps or maybe a crusade or maybe a big event like a, a promise keepers or something like that, is that we can get so enamored with what went on in that experience that before long we begin to worship the quote unquote experience more than the Jesus that we meet in that experience. We think, oh, it's gotta have this style of music or it's gotta have this type of preaching or it's gotta have this specific whatever that may be. A few years ago, we went with a group of uh, folks from our church and our mother and father-in-law and some other folks went over to the Holy Lands. And while we're over there, man, it is powerful place to go and to walk in the actual places that Jesus walked and to do all that. But one of the things that I found is, is a lot of people, they worship places more than who was in that place. And they, and they would, they almost made these places magical. Listen, it's awesome that there's potentially a rock that we know that Jesus, where Jesus prayed and he shed, uh, sweat drops of blood on. It's, it's incredible to walk into where, uh, the, the tomb may have been that he, uh, he rose from or the place that he was born and all of that there. I, I love the reality and the, and the, uh, the realness that that brings when you walk in those places. But listen to me, those are just places, right? I mean, there's nothing holy, sacred, perfect about them. The thing that made them holy, sacred, and perfect was, was who was there. And again, here's the thing Paul's talking about. Man, I could boast. I could say how great I am. Look at me. I had this vision in heaven and all of this. And if that was today, nowadays, if some, if some preacher would do that, that would be the story every preacher would lead with, right? You know, every time they got up, somebody would tell a story and they go, look, I got one to one up you. And, and there would be hundreds and hundreds of books written about the heavenly experience, how you can do that, 10 steps to having your own heavenly experience and all of that. And, and, and it would be, you can miss the message of things because you focus on the experience. You focus on what that you, you feel in that moment, right? We've got to be very careful of that. Paul, Paul knew that, you know, he had a right to boast, but he didn't want to take credit for what God was doing in his life. He didn't want to take credit for the type of man he was, that God was forming him and becoming. Verse six, he said it this way. This other New Living Translation. He says, if I wanted to boast... He says, I would be no fool in doing so because what I'd be telling you is the truth. He says, but I don't want to do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. I don't want anybody to give me credit for what they can. In other words, only what they hear me say and only what they see me do. And the credit, again, he says, it's not about, I, I want credit for myself. It's not about uh, gaining honor or, or recognition from people. That's not what authenticity is. Authenticity is when we allow God to honor us in his way and in his time. 
I wrote this down. Paul did not want people to recognize him. He wanted them to see Jesus in him and hear Jesus from him. That's what authenticity looks like right there. In that passage in 2 Corinthians 12 in verses uh, 7 and 8, we hear about this thing that Paul, after this vision uh, that he had, that ultimately what happened is this, is that God gave him what was known as a thorn in the flesh, something in his life that, that kept him humble, kept him focused on who, uh, who God was uh, and not who Paul was. And so what does that mean? What does our takeaway, another takeaway for authenticity look like in, in your life and in my life? I think another takeaway from this passage would be in, in verses 7 and 8 is this, is that we need to allow our, the sufferings that we face to be used by God as a tool for building our character. Again, uh, this whole thing of thorn in the flesh, there has been all kinds of speculation about what was Paul's thorn in the flesh. I've heard all kinds of examples. Some people say that it was some type of illness, maybe specifically some type of eye disease or something like that. Some people say it was the persecutions and sufferings that he went through, and man, did he go through some incredible persecutions uh, because of his faith. Some people say it was a person. Uh, that was a constant critic and a constant negative person uh, in his life. But here, you know, what the thorn in the flesh was is not nearly as important as what the thorn in the flesh did in Paul's life. It's not important what it was. It's important what the thorn in the flesh did. It kept Paul humble and it kept Paul teachable. And that's where authenticity comes as we allow those difficulties, we allow those sufferings, as I said, that when we face those, we allow those to help us be who God's called us to be, to do God's will, God's way in our life. Oftentimes when suffering comes, how do we typically handle that? Well, a lot of times, maybe this, we just try to ignore it, going, oh, I'm not going to pay attention to it, not going to worry about it, and we just hope it's going to go away. But here's what I know, that that's not what happens in our life. Things don't typically just go away. Oftentimes the things that we ignore typically become worse. But maybe this sometimes when, when suffering and pain comes in our life, man, we become bitter and we blame God for it. We're like, I can't believe, you know, God, I thought you were a God of love. I thought you were a God of in charge of everything. And here I am having to go through all of this stuff in my life. Why in the world? And, and, and because we allow that to, to, that, that suffering to move us to look inward and go, how this is, how bad this is for me. And then what does that mean? It, it, we turn and we, we get bitter toward God. Why are you letting this happen? I think sometimes too is when suffering comes, what do we try to do? We just try to grin and bear it. Oh, everything's going to be fine. Everything's all right. And what happens is we try to handle these things in our own power. But that's not how God designed us. Again, at the end of the day, we're going to be exhausted. We're going to be frustrated. We're going to be tired. We're not going to be set up to be usable uh, by God to do the things that he's called us to do. So what do we do? I think it's what Paul did. When we face sufferings in our life, when we face our quote-unquote thorn in the flesh, what do we do? We allow our, our pain to bring us closer uh, to God. I wrote this down, that pain and suffering are going to happen to us, but we get to determine what happens in us each time we face those pain and suffering times. Authenticity finds purpose in our pain. As we finish up in the last two verses that we read in verses 9 and 10, we see our final takeaway when it comes to authenticity, what it means to be authentic uh, in our faith. And I wrote it down this way. Here's the takeaway is that our weaknesses help us see our need for God's strength and place us in a position to do what only God can do through us. 
This is that verse right here that is quoted so many times of this whole thing of the thorn in the flesh is this, is that Paul said this, he found out that God's grace was sufficient. It was sufficient. And his strength, his power is made known in our weakness. God's grace is sufficient. Man, think about that word grace. We hear that, sing about that, talk about that, preach about that, pray for that, ask for that for other people. We grace, we want to experience God's grace. But you know, when difficulties come, when God says that we can come to him and ask, listen, asking for bad things not to happen, there's nothing wrong with praying that, right? There's nothing wrong for us to pray for health instead of sickness. There's nothing wrong for us to pray for comfort instead of pain or easy instead of hard or deliverance instead of captivity. Or I wrote this down of, Lord, give me more instead of less. There's nothing wrong with praying those things because here's what I know. God will always answer those prayers, but he answers them, I think, really in, in two ways. When we bring a need before him, when something is difficult in our life, we bring that need, that, that thing that we're experiencing, that thorn in the flesh in our life, and we bring that to him. Here's what I know. Sometimes God meets our need. I'm going to use a, a word I don't use a lot in this context, but God meets our need by substitution. What do I mean by that? What I mean is this, is that he takes us out of the situation. He takes us out of it in the difficulty that we're going through. He brings healing to sickness. He brings uh, he brings resources to areas of of, of 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 little and things that we need need him to provide for. He substitutes. He brings us out of a situation. I thought about that scripturally. What does that mean? Sometimes Red Sea parts. Sometimes walls fall. Sometimes Lazarus comes back to life. Sometimes blind beggars see. That's what God does when we bring him our needs. Sometimes he substitutes, he takes us out of the situation. But oftentimes, and this is where Paul was in his life, is that God meets our need not by substitution, but by the word I would use here is transformation. Not that he takes us out of the situation. What I mean by this is he takes us through the situation. Go back and look at scripture. Listen. The furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to go to the furnace first. Daniel had to go to the lion's den. God didn't take him out of that. Jesus had to go to the cross. God does not always substitute. Sometimes he transforms us in that situation. Paul experienced a thorn in the flesh that remained. The thorn remained in his life. God didn't remove it. It says that he asked God, three times. Come on, God, I am, I'm asking you, I implore you. That word literally means there that Paul begged, come on, God, remove this. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient. I'm not substituting this, but I am transforming you through this experience. Paul experienced a thorn that remained, but he also experienced sufficient grace in his life. I wrote this down that when God does not remove the affliction, he always gives us his grace so that the affliction works for us, not against us. So as we finish up today, I wanna to go back and let's think about this whole series of being freshly squeezed. Freshly squeezed, when pressure is applied, what's on the inside comes out. Our lives are just like fruit, just like that orange, right? What's on the inside comes out. Pressure, difficulty, affliction, life, 
the pressure of life reveals the authenticity of our life or the lack of it. I finish you with this, finish with this thought. Like Paul, we can become more authentic in our lives as we allow God to honor us and we don't seek other people's recognition and by allowing our afflictions to help us become who God wants us to be so that we can then do what God has called us to do. Authenticity. It's being genuine, not, not fake, not a fraud, not a copy of somebody else. It's not being who we think we are supposed to be, but it's ultimately being who God has created us to be. If you need some encouragement in your walk and becoming more authentic and becoming a follower of Jesus, I'd love for you to contact us. You can see the email at the bottom of the screen, and we would love to reach out to you. Next week is Easter. Looking forward to a great message as we finish up 2 Corinthians, and we look at that, and I believe the word next week is going to be hope and the hope that we find in Jesus. Hope you have an awesome day. Thanks for being with us. Talk to you soon.